Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10 a.m. on 3CR Community Radio, 855 a.m. on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 174th program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for over 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're talking about freedom and what it could mean and how the West actually pinched the notion from Indigenous peoples in present-day Canada some centuries ago. That we're thinking about freedom shouldn't really surprise us, surprise us today. <laughs> During the second half of the pandemic, numerous references to freedom were made and how we were losing freedom here in Victoria because of dictator Dan's lockdowns and the other limitations he imposed on us. Free citizens presumably living in a democracy. We have commented in previous programs on the rather strange amalgam of people converging under the banner of freedom during the sometimes wild demonstrations in Melbourne Town. The narrow common denominator for the demonstrators being something like, quote, nobody tells me what to do, unquote. If you think about it, a quite negative understanding of what freedom means and to whom it is to be applied. Yeah, and internationally we do hear the word freedom thrown around a lot, uh, usually associated with democracy and protests with people holding up banners mm, That's too. right, and democracy being something that presumably characterises our, the Western world, a superior and enlightened system that all nations should take on, and if they don't, we can then call them autocratic or authoritarian, and hence backward or primitive. Mm, that's right. Thanks for that introduction, Jacques. <laughs> but what do we really mean by freedom? And are we really free anyway? Uh, and in what senses are we free? Um, we, we being who live in supposed democracies. Mm. So if you're living in a country where you could be thrown in jail or tortured or killed just for criticising or opposing the government or the rulers... Of course, the concept's pretty clear. Mm. Well, you could be free if you could speak out or act without fear of such things then happening to you. Yeah, so that's pretty straightforward mm. uh, as far as that goes. Um, or look at what's happening in Iran at the moment with women being harassed and incarcerated and tortured merely for not wearing their hijab in a way that satisfies the morality police under the country's clerical rule. In their protests, in the women's protests and other, other people protesting, it's pretty clear what's meant by freedom, freedom of dress, movement, freedom of movement and expression without penalty of harassment, jail, torture or even being murdered. In contrast, we, in the West, have evolved this presumably democratic system in which you can freely say what you want 
For example, you can call the premier dictator Dan mm -hmm. and threatening to hang him on a mock gallows, which you drive around in a free demonstration, practicing freedom and democracy. But let's look a little bit more critical at this, presumably Western story. We're using presumably a lot, don't we? But that's why we're calling this program Think Again. Mm -hmm. So let's look at it a bit more critically because it has become clear that the West did really have some help with the invention of both freedom and democracy. Indeed, looking at some of our Western ideas of freedom, Western thinkers borrowed quite freely from indigenous ideas of freedom or liberty during the Enlightenment period from the 1600s onwards. That was the time in which our ideas of democracy and freedom presumably have been germinating. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that Western Enlightenment thinking about politics and about society was inspired by indigenous ways of living and organising, especially given how European thought has been used to trumpet the supposed superiority of Western ways over Indigenous ways yeah. um, for hundreds of years, mm. including invading, um, including justifying um, the invasion of That's other countries correct. like Australia. Yeah. The Enlightenment refers to the time when Western political, philosophical and scientific thought was seen to be blossoming, breaking the shackles of tradition, religion and control by the church and the nobility. Mm. And it is really still looked on that way. Triumphal stories of Western superiority often hark back to this period. Yeah, I think I've heard Tony Abbott even do that. Yes, he did, he did, yeah. he did. So it might surprise people to know how much the opening up of thought and discussion about social arrangements was actually inspired by Indigenous peoples, particularly living in what is now known as Quebec and Nova Scotia in Canada. Uh, David Graeber and David Wengro talk about this in their book, The Dawn of Everything. And they tell how the Europeans called New, um, New France, um, they tell how the, how the area, sorry, the mm -hmm. Europeans called New France was inhabited by speakers of Montaigne, Nascapi, Algonquian and Iroquoian languages. And these inhabitants, these indigenous inhabitants, were fishers, foresters, hunters, horticulturalists, and further inland were the Wendat, people who grew maize, squash, or pumpkins and, and beans around fortified towns. towns. Towns, rather than, as we usually are meant to believe, living in ferocious bands of wild Indians, Indians, which we mistakenly, mistakenly called them. Because they were uh, on the wrong continent. <laughs> the explorers were on the wrong continent. <laughs> that's right, and we still call them that way. Yeah, that's right. So how convenient to, to depict Indigenous people that way. Mm -hmm. And like I suggested, it justifies a lot of things being done by um, Westerners, really. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, there were accounts by, accounts by missionaries at the time describe societies in which no one... Ha this is Indigenous societies um, in which no one had the power to tell others what to do <laughs> or to control others' behaviour. An idea so alien to the invading Europeans at the time that it, uh, it scandalised the Jesuits, the Jesuit missionaries. Indigenous leaders were required uh, then to have really highly developed skills in debate, discussion and persuasion. 
Uh, and apparently their, uh, their powers of argumentation were really very sophisticated. Um, otherwise, uh, the leaders would quickly lose authority in their nations. Yeah, and after coming to know the supposed French civilization and their political culture at the time, these leaders were often highly critical of the way the French behaved and treated each other. In fact, missionaries were initially often irritated by indigenous criticisms of French society, though often coming to some sort of grudging admiration. In relation to freedom, it was pretty much agreed on all sides that Native Americans lived in generally free societies and that Europeans didn't. The criticism by indigenous people was often quite biting. For example, to quote Graeber and Wingrow, and I quote, in the considered opinion of the Montagnienas Capi, the French were little better than slaves, living in constant terror of their superiors. Mm. So the Jesuits noted that Wendat statesmen couldn't compel anyone to do anything they didn't want to do. Even it sounds strange to us, Shark. <laughs> so according to one account by Jesuit Father Lalmont, quote, I do not believe that there is any people on earth freer than they and less able to allow the subjection of their wills to any power whatever. So much so that fathers here have no control over their children or captains over their subjects or the law of the country over any of them, unquote. Oh, sorry, that's not the end of the quote. There is no punishment which is inflicted on the guilty and no criminal who is not sure that his life and his property are in no danger, mm -hmm. unquote. And, and while being quite critical of such freedom, Father Lallemont did concede that the system worked pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> it worked pretty well in preserving justice and peace. And that was from a start of not being able to even imagine at all how this could work. And, and this is what really fascinated European intellectuals of the time. And they loved reading these. Um, there were quite a few of these accounts of indigenous society. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it really uh, took hold of the imagination of European intellectuals at the time of the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And with the new possibilities of how societies might be organised... And, and the, this novel idea of freedom, which was foreign to mm. Europe at the time, this novel idea of freedom is lived by indigenous peoples. So what has freedom come to mean in the West? For us, after a few more centuries of evolving democracy, as we have come to know it. Generally, freedom is understood as having the ability to act or change without constraint or to possess the power and resources to fulfill one's purposes unhindered. Freedom is often associated with personal liberty and autonomy in the sense of giving oneself their own laws and with having rights and the civil liberties with which to exercise those rights without undue interference by the state. The kinds of political freedom that are often discussed include freedom of assembly or association, freedom of choice and of speech, and of course, as we are too often reminded of, of bearing arms. Yes, yeah, especially in the US. <laughs> That's correct. In philosophy and religion, freedom is sometimes associated with free will, 
without undue or unjust constraints of that will, such as enslavement. It is an idea closely tied with the concept of negative liberty. That means constraints on state authority to limit or constrain the freedom and rights of the individual citizen. Mm, so, as in the current Iran situation? Yeah, that's, that's right. But also the freedom of Assange to share the secrets of international political manipulations of so-called democratic governments. And on that note, let's hear... Uh, From what, what Ch is Charcoal Club <laughs> with Cry oh, Freedom. There, there you go. You're listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio, 855am on your dial and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about freedom and singing as well, as you, as you just heard. <laughs> Are we really free? And in what sense? What do we mean anyway when we refer to freedom? I before mentioned negative liberty and freedom as it is often used in political philosophy, referring to the ability to do what one wants 
without external obstacles, especially obstacles emanating from governing bodies like the state. The government telling you what to do. That's right. This is a rather simplistic way of thinking, really, as it ignores the fact that one's freedom ends at the freedom of another person. It also ignores positive formulations and expressions of freedom, like the ability to fulfill one's purposes and exercise one's rights and freedoms as members of social groups. Often ref- these are often referred to as social or collective rights and freedoms. So, Jacques, would that, that refer to cultural That's right. practices yeah. and like, religious practices? Yeah, like the indigenous people in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think, think, for example, also about the workers' rights or the right to housing or shelter, or indeed the rights of Aboriginal peoples to their never-ceded land, as mm. we so often say now. A useful reference to all of this complex and complicated freedom and rights conundrum can be found in Orlando Patterson's book Freedom, Freedom in the Making of Western Culture. He reminds us that freedom also arose from the yearnings of slaves. Mm, so with freedom, I guess the concept of freedom being a very logical counterpoint to slavery exactly. if you've been enslaved. Mm, finally, other understandings of freedom refer to freedom from limiting forces. For example, freedom from fear, from want or from discrimination or as experiences of and freedom in the areas of economics, politics, recreational opportunity or academic, intellectual and scientific practice. We often talk about mm-hmm. academic freedom and make loud noises about well, it. Well, it covers a lot of ground, this word freedom. And That's correct. really carrying a big load. Yep. Yeah, so I guess seeing we throw the... And you're sighing about it, Jacques. I can <laughs> hear you. So seeing we throw the word freedom about around so much... I do think it's worth uh, thinking about what we mean by it, which is what we're um, doing in this program today. And and if we mean the same thing um, with it uh, when talking in our own country, let alone internationally as well, yeah. So going back to Graeber and Wenbrose, (laughs) sorry, Wenslow's book, The Dawn of Everything, this quote jumped from the page for me and which you used this quote before, Jacques, but I'll say it again. In the considered opinion of the Montagnier Nascapi, the French were little better than slaves, living in constant terror of their superiors. So, unquote. So this got me thinking about the notion of freedom today in the context um, particularly of workplaces and, and labour uh, within capitalist democracies. Uh, and I guess... I probably know too many people who are oppressed in their work, especially in the um, rather damningly in the community sector, but also professions like teaching and nursing. Managerialism um, has really taken over our institutions and organisations today, and that's the hierarchical, top-down command and control approach to running our organisations, and for that matter our entire society. Anyone who has worked in in an organisation will probably know what I mean by top-down command and control. And certainly people who were (laughs) robo-debted 
<laughs> and know what this means too. That's yeah. right. The help of uh, of all of the electronic capabilities we now have. Yeah. But generally, managerialism has come to mean command and control over people, over workers. Mm. We talked about this in June 2019, one of our first programs, yeah. a program dedicated to the theme of managerialism and how managerialism splits organizations of all kinds into head and hands. The head, referring to managers deciding on what and how of the work, breaking it into discrete tasks for the hands. The workers carrying out the tasks. It's pretty insulting, Jacques, when you think of it. Absolutely. So that means, though, that then all inputs and outputs and outcomes and so on, they can be measured and costed and controlled, like with a factory assembly line. Yeah. So what happens to freedom in all of this? What if the frontline workers or the people carrying out the work do have the specialist training and experience? The managers don't. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're more, they're more, obviously, they're more than the hands. Mm-hmm. They're carrying the expertise. They have That's the right. training and they have the experience. What if managers, uh, what about the cases in which managers just know about managerial stuff, but they don't have an intimate knowledge of the core work of the organisation? Mm, that's right. And what about all the lovely things we said before about the different kinds of freedom, like academic freedom or freedom of fear to be sacked? or economic freedom under the regime of growing inequality under global hypercapitalism, or just freedom of the fear engendered by growing insecurity. Or freedom from the fear. That's right. So unfortunately, managerialism, which is why we're coming back to it, it's happening everywhere, and it's a real pox, though not talked about half enough. Just look at the recent Bureau of Meteorology fiasco. We all laughed and cried at the same time, I think. Mm, mm. (laughs) The Saturday paper had a great article about this on the 4th of October. It tells about a bumbling management that lacks expertise in actual weather forecasting, (laughs) making decisions that drastically reduce BOM's ability to accurately forecast weather. And as we now painfully find out with floods and fires, people's lives and livelihoods depend on this forecasting. Instead, decisions have been made according to efficiency, rationalisation and automation. Then famously, BOM launched its rebranding during the (laughs) devastating floods Mm. in the eastern states. And what is really clear in the Saturday paper article is the demoralising effect this has had on professionals who really care about their work and want to responsibly deliver accurate weather mm-hmm. forecasting. Um, in my, so not surprising, I guess, in one staff survey, only 17, 17% of people in the communications division agreed that my manager creates an environment that enables us to deliver our best. That's <laughs> right. Particularly also because we know that the subtext in all of these changes at BOM were to do with not talking about climate change. Mm. So uh, the same oppressive... Yeah, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't be free to talk about that's that right. either. Exactly. 
The same oppressive, counterproductive and unfree managerialism is rife across a range of sectors, including schools, universities, hospitals and the community and welfare sector, as we said before. Yeah. All part of what is called the care sector, dealing with people's rights to be safe and cared for. So professionals focus on supporting the people who need their support day in, day out. At the front line, often despite the, mach the machinations of disconnected management that often lacks the expertise to make careful, intelligent decisions, all under the managerialist assumption that the top manager knows best because they sit at the top of the pyramid. And I mm. won't quote Qantas. <laughs> And apart from the aspect of freedom, whatever happened to the idea of learning organizations where key decisions are based on the collective, ongoing knowledge of the organization as a whole? Yeah, bringing in everyone's expertise. That's right. totally. Rather than reducing it to the pinpoint at the mm, top. Exactly. Yeah, and I guess when so many workers are subject to oppressive, whimsical management... And when they're required to carry out orders going against their best expert and ethical judgment, and they they and they do this in exchange for a wage to live, one has to wonder: Are they really free? <laughs> That's right. So it is quite important to link freedom with wage justice, uh -huh. as opposed to wage slavery, wherein mm. you're coerced, you are coerced mm -hmm. in order. To live. <laughs> In that regard, the International Trade Union Confederation is soon to have their global conference in Melbourne, as also the previous program talked about. They are focusing on building wage justice around the globe, responding to crisis of climate, technology and public health and defending democracy, something well worth following up on. But before ending this program about freedom, some further extensions about where certain understandings of freedom may lead to. Despite Labour's improved emissions target, Australia still sits at a dismal 55th out of 63 nations in the annual carbon emissions list. This is the price of our previous governments claiming Australia's freedom and sovereignty to emit global warming-causing substances. Yeah, that's right. That's, sorry, Jacques. That's hmm. going to the idea of freedom. That's right. Being the freedom of a nation to, to do what yeah, it likes. Exactly. To, to enslave people, to abuse human rights, that's to emit right. carbon emissions. Exactly. And remember Howard and Morrison's dictum that we decide who we're letting into this country, yeah. leaving us the freedom to illegally incarcerate asylum seekers. Mm. And many Australian demonstrators and public commentators also claimed the freedom to actually, if you think about it, to the freedom to get COVID. Ah, and to spread COVID. And to pass and to give and, it to others. That's right, and to pass it on to others refusing all pandemic restrictions. Mm. So a lot of work about our obligations and responsibilities remains doing to eventually be free. Mm. Yeah, and when you're reflecting that my freedom may be your unfreedom, the key, of course, is that we are all interconnected in a living web of life <laughs> and within living systems. None of us really exists in isolation, as 
is expressed in the famous phrase, none of us are free until all of us are free. Mm. Just uh, the only community announcement we would like to make is the, the International Trade Union Confederation, uh, of which uh, Australians Sharon Burrow is still the chair till yeah. after the conference. And we're great is, admirers of her. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's happening in Melbourne uh, by the end of this year. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and supporting our programme. If you want to send us a message, please email borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our past programs are available on podcast and your favourite platform and via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Meanwhile, please enjoy Milku Mana by King Stingray. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.